podcast by the Capital Center for Law and Policy at University of the Pacific McGeorge School of Law. Today's conversation is with Sonoma Councilmember Rachel Hundley. Uh, she made national news not too long ago for the way she responded to a very unique kind of campaign hit piece. So to talk about that, joining us over Skype today is Councilmember Rachel Huntley. Councilmember, thank you for joining us today. Thank you for having me. So I want to talk about this issue that you handled, I think, fantastically well with a video that your campaign put out, and we can just link to that in our show notes. But um, kind of the long story short, and you can dive into it more if you want to, is that what I kind of think of as like internet trolls basically targeted you and tried to get you to drop out of running for re-election. And where I want to start is kind of like, what was your initial reaction when you get that first email from them? Um, what are the, like the first thoughts that race through your mind? It was on August 13th. Seemed like a, a day like any other. Checked my email and noticed this particular email from a group called Citizens for Peace and Cooperation. And as soon as I got halfway through the text and realized what it was, my heart just sank. Half of it was uh, disbelief, disbelief that this was happening in a city council election, uh, that it was happening in Sonoma because we haven't actually had negative campaigning before. But the other half of me was almost unsurprised, partly because, you know, you hear of things happening uh, usually in higher offices, kind of like this. And, you know, I always kind of thought my participation with Burning Man, uh, particularly the association I have with uh, the camp that I've been with for six years, would be fodder for uh, political opposition, maybe in a, in a bigger race. But I was not expecting it to happen in a city council race in Sonoma. And just even the timing of it all, August 13th being... Just before usually people get into uh, getting getting dirty on these things, it, it just completely took me by surprise. Do you have any sense of like why you think you might have been targeted in particular? Is it just because you've participated in Burning Man, or is it you're not the only woman on the city council in Sonoma? So it, I, I'm just trying to figure out like why you get targeted for by this group as opposed to you know anyone else. It's true. We do have, we've actually had a female majority on our council since 2014, and then we maintained it in 2016. But I think this relates to whoever is was behind the email and behind the website, which unfortunately I still can't prove who it is. I have, I think I have a pretty good idea, and the Secretary of State's still investigating it. But I think that the ultimate purpose of the email on the website was to try and get me to drop out. And I believe that was motivated by very specific political interests here in the city. I think it was a local job, and I think they have local interests. And the tactic was more of a convenient tool that they thought would be effective uh, against me. Yeah, rather than kind of attacking you on specific issues, which I guess we can kind of go there next, which is, I mean, what are, have there been any major contentious issues in Sonoma that you've worked on in the time you've been on the council or that the council has had to face? Well, there has been. It's It's been the last couple of years in particular, the, the city kind of feels like it's at a turning point in terms of, of growth, of changes that are resulting from, you know, an increase in wealth in the city and watching our middle class get pushed out. And 
Sonoma is a great place for developers to make money, and we're noticing uh, more and more developers from out of town, you know, coming in and wanting to do projects just because there's so much money to be made for people who can uh, push something through the process. So we've been having, you know, some lively debates about the future of our city and what we want our land use policies to be. And I also note that, you know, I was elected back in 2014, and ever since the 2016 election, there's just been a marked decline in civil discourse in general. Everyone's been noticing it. It's just been slowly degrading over time, and people are feeling kind of frustrated with it right now. But it's just things have, things have changed in the last couple of years in a way that I didn't see it in my first two years on the council. And this is something that I kind of want to dive out. This is just one very obvious example of a broader issue here, which is that women face far more challenges than men when they run for office. What are some of the other specific challenges or barriers that you've had to overcome that male candidates haven't had to? It's interesting because uh, back in 2014, I was the youngest person running for the city council that year. I was the youngest woman to ever run for the seat. And I had the added unusual trait that I had only been living in this area for a very short time. In fact, when I decided and I announced that I was running, I'd been here for 12 months. And Sonoma has a long history. There's a joke that you have to live here for 20 years before you can call yourself a local. (laughs) At the time, uh, I thought I was going to have a tougher time convincing people that I was serious, uh, particularly because it would be so easy to dismiss me as an outsider. But I was pleasantly surprised and amazed during that year that people were actually very receptive to me. Me as a young woman, they hadn't seen somebody like me in this this position. But my sense was that people saw a part of the future in me and something that they hadn't seen in candidates lately. And many of the things that I thought that I was going to experience when I was campaigning that year I didn't see until December 2016 when I took the seat as mayor, and that was when uh, a lot of the the barriers uh, and other extra hurdles that a lot of women candidates face, those were things that I experienced uh, in my position as mayor of the city. Gotcha. What were some of those roadblocks that started to get thrown up at you? But, you know, that was the first time I started uh, hearing people describe me as arrogant. And those just throughout the year, there was just these noticeable things that happened. Like, for example, there was a local magazine that wrote an article about me becoming mayor, but they never actually interviewed me about that subject matter. And the article ended up just giving credit to another man on the council who I had nominated to be vice mayor. And uh, at another point, I had taken issue with the fact that we had a planning commissioner who was a woman who lived in the city for over 20 years. And so when a particular individual was up for reappointment, I decided to throw it back out and have an open interview to see who who else could be qualified for the position. And after going through the uh, proper process, another council member and I ended up nominating uh, a woman for the position, and it unleashed a storm. That one really kicked off the old boys club, and I ended up having to, to deal with that issue for, for the rest of the year. 
Uh, and another example, uh, going back to developers, uh, there was a group of men who were developers who started coming after me. And uh, this was 2017. It was actually a different website, but it was more of a, a conspiracy website related to the planning commission appointment process. Uh, at one point, I had a, a former male mayor that people hadn't seen in years suddenly show up at a meeting just to insult me and heckle me the entire time. And afterwards, staff had said they had never seen anything like that. I've been threatened with lawsuits. And even, you know, when it came down to coverage in the local newspaper, there was such a disparate coverage of the male and female council members that I finally just had to sit down with the publisher and point out what was happening. And I'm happy to say that things seem to improve after that conversation. I think we've also gotten another thing here. Um, you mentioned that you were the youngest woman to run for the council seat when you ran in 2014. And, you know, you're also a millennial here, which I kind of feel like voters haven't entirely figured out what to do with people from our generation when they run for office. Obviously, as you pointed out, they can see you as kind of an aspirational figure and someone that they can kind of see glimpses of the future in. But at the same time, I also think of the old like Ronald Reagan joke from the debate where he says, I'm not going to use for political purposes the youth and inexperience of my opponent against him. And I mean, do you feel like there is a little bit of that equating of youth with kind of not knowing how to handle the, the duties of the job and kind of like what challenges does does that present? Yeah, yeah definitely. There's, there's two sides to that coin. Back when I, I ran the first time and I was knocking on doors, often when people would open the door and see me standing there and hear, heard why I was there, they would immediately ask, well, what are your qualifications? But fortunately for me, I had the credentials to quickly move past that question. <laughs> you know, I, was, I was an attorney. I was the owner of a small food business. And after I stated those things, that seemed to satisfy them. And then we could move on and, and talk about other things. And while I do think that millennials might have the added hurdle of uh, having to convince people to take us seriously, and, and sometimes I have had that experience. Um, I've also noticed that being from a new generation is more of a positive than a negative because in Sonoma, a lot of the issues that are coming up are all about the future, the future of our environment, the future of our economy, the future of our middle class. And people are realizing there's a lot of it at stake for the future. And so it's easier for them to understand that I... And speaking from a future generation, and they, you know, a lot of times, you know, trust what I'm saying about the experience that millennials are having. You know, when I say millennials will not be able to purchase a home in the city, like, we need to figure out a way for them to live here. Like, coming from me, they're like, oh, well, this is her experience. I can I trust her on this. Uh, so I think that I think it can have positives and negatives. Um, I will say that I've always taken probably extra steps to be informed and prepared for discussions about things. And I think that that helped alleviate the suspicions about, you know, whether I'm serious or not, just because I'm always so overly prepared about things. So for my fellow, fellow millennials out there, I would recommend sort of taking the extra steps to be more prepared than anybody else, because then when it comes down to talking, you know, people will automatically know that you know what you're talking about. It also makes me think of kind of the generational gap with the use of social media, which I think is a fantastic communication tool, but 
kind of another thing that you've experienced is kind of flip side of that, where what you post on social media can be used against you. What are your thoughts on how that factors into being an elected office and kind of having this thing where I feel like our generation, there's we we grew up with social media around us and there's less of maybe somewhat less of a filter in terms of what we think is, you know, stuff that we post on there. And, you know, something that you mentioned is that you've always been open about your relationship with Burning Man. You've proudly posted things from when you've gone to that festival. I mean, do you feel like the the way it allows you to connect with people, is it worth the kind of the flip side of that where things that you post that aren't necessarily, you know, bad or things that would be held against someone can be used against you? few people, all of them, you know, a little older than me, asked me after the website came out if this meant that I was going to lock down my Instagram or reconsider what I posted, which I, I will say that all of the photos that they used were from actually before I was elected in 2014. But my answer is no. I think that we're going to have this uncomfortable transition as we see more people who have you know grow, grown into their adulthoods on social media like it's it's crazy to me that i've been on facebook for 14 years it's just like quickly like becoming almost half of my life has been on facebook but you know when i i ran the first time i made the decision that i was going to run as myself and that if the voters did not want me as myself then that just meant that I was not the right person for the job. And I feel that we are coming into an age of greater authenticity in our political candidates and our elected officials. And, you know, this lifetime of social media, I do think it's going to be problematic for some people, especially, you know, back in college when you pro- when people probably did post some really stupid things that might come back to, to haunt them. But in other ways, it's every human that has run for office has, you know, been a person and they're a complete person. And for too long, it's just been a matter of people only marketing a tiny little slice that they think is acceptable to their voter base. But when it comes down to them making decisions or making decisions based on who they are as a complete person. So I have found that people have been more receptive to me hearing and seeing that I am in fact you know, a normal person and that I do fun things and that I have hobbies and these are ways that people can relate to me and they also I think it makes them trust me more because you know, it doesn't seem like I'm hiding anything. So and when it comes to, you know, the photos they used about me were, you know, me and skimpy outfits from Burning Man, which sure at one point was inappropriate for uh Know, women to do if they wanted to be taken seriously. But, I mean, the fact is, like, that correlation, uh, you know, isn't a causation. And you, you can't criticize me for wearing the equivalent of a bikini when that's what women do when they go to the beach. It's like the, these arbitrary lines drawn as to what women can wear and when it's acceptable. It's going to be a bumpy ride, but I think in the end we're all just going to realize that what we used to assume had some connection to a woman's character is actually just something that has been made up all along the way to to undermine the credibility of women and it actually has no relation on to what kind of leader it would be well and it kind of gets to the whole gender double standard a bit too in that you know if it was a picture of a male candidate in the equivalent of 
board shorts or swim trunks or and nothing more than that like that wouldn't be something that would get held against them in you know a, a campaign hit piece so absolutely and i'm sure there's photos shirtless photos of uh, elected officials who have been you know everywhere but no one would even think to try to bring that up because it wouldn't be effective and the reason that whoever it was, this particular website, they knew that it would get a lot of attention. Like, you know, the content itself, people probably wouldn't have paid much attention to, but they knew that, all right, if we throw some scantily clad photos on here, this is going to make people pay attention to it. And ultimately it did, but I'm happy to report that we have arrived in this place in our society where instead of giving them a free advertisement for their message, it made people pay attention to it, but only to push back against it. And I think that, that this is actually a turning point. Well, thank you so much for taking the time to talk with us today. That's been, I, I really appreciated your insights on kind of how this all played out. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for having me. And that's today's show. Thank you so much for taking the time to listen. If you enjoyed today's show, please leave us a five-star review on iTunes or Apple Podcasts, and please subscribe to our show wherever you get your podcasts from. You can also keep up with Cap Impact on social media. We are at Cap Impact CA on Facebook and Twitter. Thank you again so much for listening to today's show. Talk to you again next week.